Well, tonight as we get started, we want to read a portion of our scripture passage. I want to ask the Edgar family to join me up here. This is uh, Will and Suzanne Edgar and their family. And uh, Will and Suzanne uh, have recently made application and been accepted to become a missionary family with our East African mission partner, Four Corners, in the northern part of Uganda. And they, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So we want to begin immediately to be praying for them and the transition that's going to take place for them. And uh, they'll be uh, raising funds to go do that. And uh, we just want to make sure that as their home church that we are praying for you and sending you well as you go out to do this. So why don't you read for us tonight? This is uh, from the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 35, verses 9 through 12. It reads, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and to Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. To you, how good it is to belong to you, the good shepherd. And thank you that when we come to you, you make all things new. Your word says that you bring the new and the old is gone. And so we thank you for your word. Would you take Matthew's lips tonight and speak truth, your truth to them through to us. And by your Holy Spirit, would you penetrate our hearts with that truth? And Father, we pray that we would become the new people that you have made us to be, ones that bring glory and honor to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for reading their scripture, leading us in prayer. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis 35. Uh, We are going to be looking at those verses they just read for us, uh, but we're actually going to start in verse 1 tonight. Uh, uh, Similar to what we did last week, the the passage that uh, the they read from the stage last week, is going to serve sort of as our climax. We're going to build to that. So we're going to start in verse 1, work our way to verse 9 in the passage that the, the Edgar family uh, just read for us. And, and again, I'll, I think I've said this just about every week, but the reason why we are highlighting our missionary families uh, during this sermon series called The Story of Jacob with just an Old Testament character study, it might not seem as if those two things go together. But remember, we have said that the story of Jacob has these two themes of of family and the nations. So it is God choosing a family, and he has promised to make this family into a nation. And then through that nation, all the other nations of the world will be blessed. And so we have seen how uh, God has taken this person called Jacob. He is doing a work of doing a work in the life of Jacob, and we have made lots of references tonight already about this idea of of restoration, of being made new. And so we will see that tonight, and as we have seen over the last couple of weeks, that God is doing this work of gradually 
turning this person Jacob, this person who was a liar and a deceiver, turning him into a new person, and he's going to do something great through him and through the rest of his family. So, um, so and in fact, the first point that we wanna uh, highlight tonight is the fact that God is giving Jacob a new start. He's gonna give him a new start. Let me go ahead and read verses one through seven. Genesis 35, one through seven. God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. So, so this is the beginning of a new start for Jacob. We've already seen some growth in his life. We, we highlighted that last week. And it was actually last week when the, the, was the first time that God said, you will no longer be called Jacob. You will now be called by, by the name Israel. This is a new name that he's gonna give him. And so this is another time when we see God doing a work in the life of Jacob, and this is sort of a fresh start for him. And so the first thing that we see in verse one is that God commanded Jacob. God commanded Jacob. And he's, so in verse one, he says, God said, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Now, it may be a little odd here. He's commanding him and he's telling him, go to Bethel. He's telling him to go back to Bethel. He's been there before. He wants him to go back to Bethel. Now, how in the world is this command to go to Bethel a new start for Jacob? Well, what we need to realize is that this is actually not the first time that God had commanded Jacob to go to Bethel or to stay in, in Bethel and to dwell there. He's actually spent the past 30 years of his life being far away from Bethel. He has been living somewhere else. God had given him this command to go to this place, this Bethel, we find out later as we read the scripture, this is in the land of Canaan. And so this is the promised land that he had promised to give to his grandfather Abraham. And Jacob was commanded earlier to go there but he's been avoiding it. And we, we're not gonna get into all the reasons why. Some of it is just, it was dangerous to travel and, just, and really it was just, Jacob is disobedient. But he had been commanded there to go there and he had not done so yet. So this, what we see in verse one, is not just a command. It is a second chance for Jacob to be obedient. It is a new opportunity for him to do what God has commanded him to do, to take his entire household and go to this place called Bethel where God is commanding him to go. So this is a fresh start, this is a new start, it's a new opportunity for Jacob to be obedient. So that's exactly what he's going to do, but then, he, Jake, so first God commands Jacob, but then Jacob 
commands his family. Jacob commanded his family. One of the things that we have seen over and over again in Jacob's life, and we've talked about the theme of family, but when we highlight the theme of family in the life of Jacob, what we always have to say is that it's a really dysfunctional family. Like there's been all kinds of conflict and strife going on in this family. They are a messed up group of people. But here in verses two and three, what we see is, is a rare instance when Jacob is stepping into the role of, of husband, father, and leader of his family that God has called all men to be. Let's look at verses two and three. It says, so Jacob said to his household and all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress, who has been with me wherever I have gone. So there's a, a few things we need to point out in these verses of scripture. First, the first thing that he tells his family is to put away their foreign gods. That should stand out to us because this is Jacob. This is, he's the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham. He's one of the very first, Abraham, like the first monotheists that we see in all of history, right? He, he believes in one God, not many gods, not foreign idols. But he's having to tell his family, put away your foreign gods. Now, first of all, that's a good thing that he's telling them to put them away, right? Like, it, that's, again, that is a rare instance of Jacob stepping into the role of leadership that he is to have as a father. Put away these foreign gods, put away these idols. And we actually didn't cover this earlier. This was in a section of verses that we actually skipped over. But when Jacob and the rest of his family were running away from Laban, uh, that was Jacob's uncle, that was his, the, the father of his two wives, Laban, they actually, Rachel, stole some household idols from her father Laban. And there was this whole scene where he kind of chases after them and he wants to get them back and then she hides them from him. So, so she's actually carried with her some of the pagan idols that she would have worshiped while she was in the household of her father Laban. So she's carried them with them. She, these idols have still been prevalent in the lives of their family. Maybe there's other idols too that they picked up along the way. And so, yes, even though God, the one true God, has been present in their lives, there's still been this presence of, of other idols, other gods, that they have continued to worship. It'd be real easy for us to be shocked and appalled by that and say what horrible, wretched people. They, they're God's chosen family and they're still worshiping other idols. Any of us in this room have idols that we as a family sometimes worship instead of the one true God? Maybe we don't have figurines that we set up in our living room or, or wooden idols, gold idols, like figures that we pray to and bow down to. But we all have idols in our lives. We all have things in our lives that we have placed on the throne and given it the, the uh, prom most prominent place in our lives. Things that we have given all of our time and effort to, all of our passions to. And we have robbed God of the genuine worship that only he deserves. Whatever those things are, whether they're hobbies, whether they're our jobs, whether it's money or fame or, or a big house or a nice boat, 
all of those things, all those possessions, if we have chased after those things and then to the neglect of us giving God his proper glory, then those things have become idols. And we need to do exactly what Jacob told his family to do. We need to put them away. It's interesting, he says that, and again, it's actually, if we keep reading the, the last part of that sentence, he says, put away your, the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourself, and change your garments. He's like, all right, we gotta change our clothes here. Like we, because we have been worshiping these foreign gods, we are dirty, we are filthy. It is time for us to take off those old garments and put on the new garments. We, we, again, we mentioned this last week, but this idea of, of putting to death our old self and being raised to walk in the newness of life as we are new people pursuing Christ Jesus. And he also talks about how these, he says, instead I'm gonna go to Bethel and I'm gonna make an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress. It's interesting to me that he is putting this qualifier, this descriptor on the one true God. This God is the one who answers me. Because if Jacob had participated in worshiping any of these other household gods, did they ever answer him? Did they ever respond back to him? Were they ever present with him in his time of distress? No. So Jacob is taking the right role of leadership and he's saying, we're putting these other gods away. We're gonna pursue after, we're gonna set to worship and build an altar to the one God, the one who answers me, the one who speaks to us, and the one who has been with us wherever we have gone. Then in verse five, he, he buries these underneath a tree and he leaves them behind, and that is exactly what we must do to our idols. We have, when you bury something, it's because you have put it to death. So we put those idols to death, we bury them, and we abandon them. We move away from them, and so that's exactly what they do. And then as they're traveling, we see that God commanded Jacob, Jacob commanded his family, and then God protected Jacob. One of the reasons that maybe he didn't wanna go back to Bethel is because of the danger of the travel that he would've been facing. But what we see in verse five is that God is keeping his promise to be with him wherever he goes. It says that as they journeyed, a terror fell from God, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so they, they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. God had promised his presence. I think we covered that in, in week two, where God had made a promise where he was keeping his covenant with Jacob, and he actually makes the promise that I will be with you wherever you go. So as they're traveling, as they're traveling in obedience to go back to the city of Bethel, God is with him. And even though there are people out there who are seeking to cause harm to him, they are afraid to even go near him, to touch him, because the presence of God is with him. We're gonna talk more as we get to the end of tonight's message that God is with us as well. And that should be a great word of assurance for us as we step out in obedience to do what God has called us to do. And then we end up this section of scripture with the fact that Jacob worshiped God. In verse seven, says that he gets to Bethel. In fact, El Bethel is how it's referred to in this verse, but it's the same place. He gets there, he builds an altar at this place called El Bethel because God had revealed himself there. This is the place where he had been before when he was running away from Esau and he, he arrives at this certain place and God gives him this vision of the ladder. This is what we talked about in week two. And so it was the first time that God spoke directly to Jacob. And so he's back here again. And how does Jacob respond? 
with obedience. He did what God called him to do. And he responds by building this altar and offering a sacrifice. So it's obedience and it's worship. He responds in obedience and worship. We need to hang on to that. Jacob responded in obedience and worship. So this is a fresh start. This is a new start for Jacob. And that there's, but there's more to it than just this fresh start, just this new opportunity to obey and to step out in obedience. It's also, there's also the fact that we, that Jacob now has a new identity. He was given a new start and now he is given a new identity. Let me read again verses nine through 12. It says, God appeared to Jacob again when he had come to, to Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. And so uh, this is a reminder of, again, what we talked about last week. Last week, when he was wrestling with God, that was actually the first time that God says, you're not gonna be called Jacob anymore. I'm gonna give you this new name, Israel. That is repeated again here. So, uh, so what we see first is Israel, the name. The name Israel. This is the new name. This is the new identity that he has given him. And we saw this in verse 10, where it says, uh, God said to him, your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob. You are Israel. So we called his name Israel. This is you see, you hear a lot of repetition here, and repetition is a common feature in the Hebrew language if they want to emphasize a point. And so if they really want to emphasize something, what they do is they just repeat themselves over and over again. And so God is repeating himself to Jacob. Your, your name is Jacob, but you're not going to be called Jacob. Your name is Israel, so you're going to be called Israel. This is the new identity that he's given him. And like we said, this is Again, God is repeating himself because back in verse 32, he had already given him this name, Israel. Let's look at those verses. It says, this, is, this was when Jacob was wrestling with God, and it says, the man said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men, and have prevailed. So I wanted us to come back to these verses because there's actually a little bit more information about why this name Israel is given to Jacob uh, as his new name, as his new identity. So let's remember, first, why did God ask Jacob his name? Because he's God, he's got all knowledge, he knows who this is, he knows who he's wrestling with, and so he doesn't need to know Jacob's name he says, when he says, what is your name? He's actually prompting Jacob to confess. Remember, the name Jacob means deceiver. It means liar. It means the one who grasps at the heel. is gonna trip somebody else up so that he can run ahead and that he can, he can uh, get the advantage over them. And so when he says, my name is Jacob, he's confessing. He's saying, I am a liar. I am Jacob. 
But then God gives him this new name. He says, your name will be Israel, for you have struggled with God. You have wrestled with God and with men, and you have prevailed. So we know that Jacob literally had a wrestling match with this man who was the representation of God. And we can't get into all those details again. But this name Israel, there's a lot of debate. There are different people who say that it means different things. But the one definition, the one meaning that you see over and over again is that it literally means struggles with God or wrestles with God or strives with God. It's this idea of someone who is in constant conflict with the Lord. And if we look at Jacob's life, the entire thing has been marked with struggling and wrestling and conflict. Before he was even born, when he and his brother Esau were in the womb together, what was happening? They were wrestling with one another. That's why uh, his, his mom was like having all these issues during her pregnancy. And then when they're born and they become adults, that conflict remains. They are at conflict with one another. They are, he's scheming against his brother Esau, trying to take what legally belongs to Esau. And there's conflict between mom and dad. Like they've each got their favorite kid and they both want their favorite kid to get the blessing. And so they're at conflict with one another, fighting over their two children. And then uh, he, he leaves home after he steals the, the birthright and the blessing from Esau. And then he's in conflict with his uncle Laban. He's having this, this struggle between the two of them. And then he ends up marrying Laban's two daughters and there's conflict between his two wives. And they're fighting over who's gonna have the most kids and they're fighting over Jacob. And then last week, he's, uh, he has even more conflict that he's preparing for as he knows that Esau is coming back into his life. And so it's just conflict after conflict after conflict, fight after fight after fight. But throughout all this, who has been Jacob's actual opponent? Who has he really been struggling against? God. He's The reason why he's got all this conflict with all these other people is because he's wrestling away from the Lord. He's not surrendering to the Lord. In fact, in the actual wrestling match, he is struggling and fighting, and it's not until God himself puts an end to it and forces him into submission. He is stubborn and he won't give up and he's going to try to do everything he can to get his own way. It's interesting that this is the name that God chose to give his people Israel. If we look at the history of Israel, what is it marked by? This constant struggle where if, if they would just do what God told them to do, everything would work out really easily, right? But they are constantly turning away from him, constantly seeking their own way. And so they run into conflict and they run into punishment and bad things are happening to them as a result of their own disobedience. Man, aren't we glad that we're so much smarter than them and we do a much better job these days? Man, the church has got it all together. Now we're looking at the mistakes that Israel has made and we're just learning from them and we're way better off for it. Is that true? Unfortunately, not even a little bit. This name that God gave to Jacob that he then gave to this, this nation, it describes us really well too, doesn't it? We are still wrestling with the Lord. We are still seeking our own way. We are still wrestling with God. But there's hope, 
There was hope for Jacob. There was, there's hope for the nation of Israel, and there's hope for us. And so let's look at Israel, the nation. Israel, the nation. So again, we talked about how they are God's chosen people, but the, and the reason we call them God's chosen people is because he did choose them, and he made a promise to them. In, in Scripture, in theology, we actually have a better word for that promise. It's not just a regular promise where we, like, we cross our heart and we uh, swear that we're not going to go back on this promise. No, for what the, the type of promise that God makes with Israel is, is a little bit stronger. It's something we call a covenant. So this is a binding promise. And so what we wanna do is actually look back. I wanna backtrack a little bit to the very first time God makes this promise, and it's not to Jacob. See, the story of Jacob doesn't actually start with Jacob. We mentioned him a little while ago. It actually starts with Jacob's grandfather, a guy named Abraham, who had first been called Abram. So let's look at Genesis chapter 12. We're gonna have this on the screen. You don't have to uh, look at this in your Bible unless you just want to. But Genesis 12, verses one through three, says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred. That should remind us of the command that he also gave to Jacob that we just read to go to Bethel. But now he's telling Abram, or earlier he's telling Abram to go to your country and your, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So if we've been looking at the story of Jacob closely, there's a lot of things that we see in this passage, this, uh, this first promise that he makes to Jacob's granddad, Abram, that is a reminder to us, especially uh, if we, so first there is this promise that he will make him into a great nation. That has been repeated by God to Isaac, and then it is repeated again by God to Jacob. And so it's this promise he's going to make him into a great nation. We've talked about that a little bit every week, that this is God's chosen people. He's taking this family, turning them into a nation, and then through him, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And so God is not choosing this family just because he likes them. He's not choosing this family because of anything good they've done. And because if we've paid any attention at all, we know that they have not done much good at all. No, he's chosen them according to his own sovereign will. And he's chosen them so that he can use this family to be a blessing to all other families. He's chosen this nation so that, he can be a, that they can be a blessing to all other nations. We've talked a lot about these two themes of family and nations and so and how we need to reach these nations because that's what God chose this family to do. But in all these messages so far, there we've been really heavy on the theme of family, even if it's the dysfunctional family. We've actually seen several case studies in what we don't need to do with our families. But it, you might be able to argue that we haven't really hit a whole lot on the nation's part. Yes, we know that they're making them into a nation, but we haven't really highlighted a lot about how we as a church are called to go and to reach those nations. And so what I wanna do is I want us to go back to Genesis 35 and I want us to look at the covenant with Jacob. That's what we just read, the covenant with Jacob. And, and as we look closely, we're gonna go... Uh, we're gonna look very closely, like kind of phrase by phrase at this covenant. And as we do that, I want us to look for three words. 
I'm, I'm going to point these out to you, but let's go ahead. I'm going to give you these three words first, and then we'll kind of dive into it, and you'll be able to see this. So, so here we go. The three words that I want us to pay attention for are authority, action, and assurance. Authority, action, and assurance. So there's going to be God's authority, and then he's going to tell us to do something. That's taking action. But then when he commands us to do something, there's going to be assurance that goes with it that he is going to, uh, there's really gonna be God that's doing the work that he's calling us to do. So those three words, authority, action, assurance. So first, as we, we're gonna look at Genesis 35, verse 11. But before we do that, I want us to highlight authority. So here we go. God is going to display his authority. He's going to reveal to us that he is the one who is almighty, he is all powerful. Let's look at verse 11. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. So, where is the authority right there? What's the very first thing that God says to him? I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. And so, before he tells him anything, he wants to make sure that Jacob knows who this is. This is the God who created all things. This is the God who reigns and rules over all things, over, every, over this planet, over all planets. He is God Almighty. He has all power, all authority. So when the God who has all power and authority tells you to do something, what does that mean? You better listen. You better do it. So, and, and by the way, this is a reminder for Jacob. He already knows who this God is. He's, been, he's seen him. He's been in front of this God multiple times already. And really, he really shouldn't need a reminder of who this God is. Why not? Because the last time he had an encounter with this God, ever since, Jacob has walked with a limp. He's been changed by this God, and God has displayed his power before him already. And he has been changed by that and will remain changed for the rest of his life. So now, let's look at action. Action. God is going to tell Jacob to do something. Now, he's, he's established his authority. He's established the fact that he's the one that's in charge, not Jacob, not Israel. And now he's going to say, I need you to do something. I'm commanding you to do something. Let's look back at uh, Genesis 35, 11. And so what is the command that we see next? What is the command that we see next? Be fruitful and multiply. All right. It might seem a little weird, that this is what God is telling Jacob to do because at this point in the story, he's already got 12 kids. And so that's, that's 11 sons and he's got one daughter, right? So, so that's already, he's already been pretty fruitful. He's already multiplied a pretty good bit. Um, and so this is not just about, let's be clear, it is not just about having more children. Now he is gonna have one more children at the end of Genesis 35, one more child, sorry. At the end of Genesis 35, he's gonna have one more son named Benjamin. He's gonna have one more son. Uh, but this is, and so he was obedient, he was fruitful, he did multiply again. But it's not just about having more kids. That term, be fruitful and multiply, that should sound familiar because it was commanded earlier in scripture. But go back to Genesis chapter one. What is it that God tells Adam and Eve to do? Be fruitful and multiply. And the idea there is it's, so we actually, if we, we, were, if we were to go back, we're not, we don't have time to go into it, but he actually, he says, 
He's creating man, Adam and Eve, in his own image. In the image of God, I've created them. Male and female, I have created them. So it's this, this assertion that he has created man, and man is different from all the rest of creation because mankind is made in the image of God. And so after that has been established, then he tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. So the idea is that he wants Adam and Eve, who are made in the image of God, to go fill the earth with the image of God. Create more image bearers. And so that's the command that he gives to Jacob. He repeats that exact same command, be fruitful and multiply, go fill the earth with more image bearers. And then, so that's the authority, that's the action, and now there's this assurance, assurance. He is going to, to let Jacob know that this all is not hanging on him and his obedience. If, it, if everything, if God's plan for redemption and God's plan for, for all of humanity to be saved hung on the shoulders of Jacob, we'd all be in serious trouble. We've all already seen that he's not up to that task, but we get assurance. He doesn't give him an if-then type proposition. No, he just tells him that he is going to be fruitful and multiply. He is going to achieve the task. He, so we actually see it's a promise here. He says, a nation and a company of nations shall come from you. Kings shall actually come from your own body. Not only are you gonna have a line of descendants, but it's gonna be a royal line. Royalty is going to descend from you. So this command, be fruitful and multiply, it will succeed because God has already determined that it will succeed. So that is the covenant that God has with Jacob. We said that this promise, this story of Jacob, did not start with Jacob. It also doesn't end with Jacob either. You see, this promise continues on. This command that he gave continues on. It, it went to the rest of Jacob's descendants, and then uh, that we talked about how that turns into a nation, and then through that nation, all nations of the world are to be blessed. If it had stopped with Jacob, then that means it doesn't leave the nation of Israel. But here we are, many, many thousands of years later, in Ridgeland, Mississippi, in the United States of America. The story of Jacob didn't stop with Jacob, it carried on. And the reason why it carried on is even as the, the promise continued to go down the line of Jacob's people, it eventually got to the royalty, the true royalty that God had promised, and that was the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so, he made a covenant with Jacob, but we have a commission from Jesus. We have a commission from Jesus. This idea of, of being uh, fruitful and multiply, being a blessing to other nations, this is going to, that promise is going to come to fruition in what we call the Great Commission. We know that we're talking about Matthew 28. So I wanna look at those same three things, authority, action, and assurance. So first we wanna look at authority. Earlier we saw that it was God, and he says, I am God Almighty. It was God the Father asserting his ultimate authority over all things. But what do we see in Matthew 28? Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. This is the Great Commission. You should be very familiar with this. What is the very first thing Jesus says to his disciples when he goes into this? 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So so God, God the Father said, I'm God Almighty. And now Jesus is saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The same authority that God the Father has, the same authority he has to reign and rule over all things, the same authority he had to create all things, the same sovereignty that he possessed, it belongs to Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And then we see action. We see that there is another command. We said earlier, if an almighty God tells you to do something, you better do it. Well, Jesus says all authority has been given to me and now he's giving us a command. We better be obedient too. We better do it. We better take action. And what is the action that he commands us to do? Make disciples of all nations. He told Jacob to be fruitful and multiply. And so the idea there is that we wanna fill the earth with image bearers. We wanna fill the earth. We wanna, like, the nations at this point in the story in Genesis, those nations don't exist yet. All the people that are in the story, they're actually, they're gonna have nations named after them, a lot of them. And so these people are going to become those nations in the same way that Jacob is gonna become Israel and his 12 sons are gonna become 12 tribes and then those 12 tribes become that one nation. Well, we're gonna have lots of nations out there, but at this point in the story with Jesus, the world has already been filled. The nations are already out there, but they are nations that haven't heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's not a matter any longer of needing to go out and fill the world. The world has been filled but it has been filled with sinful, broken people. And if those sinful, broken people are going to be redeemed and chosen in the same way that God has chosen Jacob and his family and the way that he has redeemed so many of us in this room, the only way they're ever gonna hear about it is if we go to them and we make disciples of them. We are called to go to make disciples. This idea of baptizing them, that means that there are new converts. It means that we are going to preach the gospel and that they are responding by repenting of their sins, turning away from their old lives, turning away from their false gods and their false idols and turning to the one true God. And they are receiving the gift of grace and mercy that comes only through Jesus Christ. And so we, are called to go, we are called to make disciples. That is the action that God expects from us. And hopefully we as a church, as a staff, we are providing multiple opportunities for you to do that. Just this morning, our pastor challenged us over the course of this next week to do one thing, go and share the gospel with one person. That is because we are commanded by Jesus to go and make disciples. We've been highlighting our missionary families and, and they have answered this calling, answered this command. And so they are, are giving up their lives and they, the comforts that they have right here in this country to be able to go to another country, to go live among another group of people, to make disciples. And 
thinking of, of myself here as a resident here, the idea for me coming on staff here is that I would be sent out to go somewhere else. And in, in the past few weeks, we have revealed this, this big news for me and my family that we have been called to plant another church, to go to uh, this area of like the reservoir area of Brandon and to plant a new church over there, to, to reach a new community and to establish a new church that is gonna have this same global vision as its mission statement, to go and to make disciples. And so I would just ask of you, what is it that you feel like God is calling you to do? How are you going to answer this command to make disciples of all nations? What action are you going to take? I think it'd be really awesome if a lot of you came with me to the other side of the reservoir but it might be bigger than that. It might be that you wanna follow the example, you feel like God is leading you to follow the example of the Edgar family. You're not going to the other side of the reservoir, you're gonna to go to the other side of the world. Or, or maybe you're going to stay here and you're gonna serve faithfully here, but as you serve faithfully here, you're gonna be in constant prayer for people who are going, and you're gonna be constantly giving to people who are going. Kylie mentioned the fundraising that they're gonna to need to do. A lot of the ministry that we do in this place cannot happen apart from your faithful giving of tithes and offerings. So we want to pray, we want to give, but of course we also want to go. And so if you feel like that is what God is telling you to do, I wanna challenge you to, to not keep wrestling with God over that. Do not keep resisting, do not keep uh, striving with him, but just surrender and follow in the leadership that he has given you, the direction that he has given you. So that's his authority. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to Jesus. The action he commands us to make disciples. And then we have assurance. See, the very last thing that Jesus says in the Great Commission, he says, go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always. You see, when he talked to Jacob, he said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, and then as soon as he told him to do that, he says, oh, you're gonna be real fruitful, there's gonna be a nation that's gonna come out of you. So the results were left up to God, and God had already determined what was gonna happen. Well, he's telling us that in the same way that everything didn't hinge on Jacob, everything doesn't hinge on us either. You see, when we go in obedience, when we go and proclaim the gospel to other people, he's with us. And he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. It is Christ in his power. He's the one who does the work. All we have to do is respond, is, is be obedient. We talked earlier about how God had told Jacob to go to this place called Bethel and to set up an altar there. So how did Jacob respond? He responded with obedience. He did what God told him to do. He did go to Bethel. And then when he got there, he worshiped. So those two things, worship and obedience. Those are the ways that we respond to God when he calls us to do anything. We respond with worship and obedience. So as we move into our time of response, I wanna ask you what you plan to do. 
right now, we're actually gonna provide you an opportunity to worship. As the band comes back out, you're gonna be able to respond by, by singing, lifting your voices up to the Lord, giving him praise and adoration. But that obedience part, that's still left up to you. And so as we are sent out of this place, how will you respond? Will you do what Christ has commanded all of his followers to do? Will we take seriously this command to make disciples of all nations? Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that even in our sinfulness, you still loved us so much that you gave your only son for us, that he lived a perfect life and that he was a perfect sacrifice, that he took our place, he took all of our sin upon himself and he died the death that we deserved so that we could have eternal life. And Lord, he defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave and then he also ascended back to his rightful place in heaven. But before he left us, we know that he gave us the command. He gave us marching orders to carry out. And so God, may we take seriously this command to make disciples. May we multiply. May we always have this good news that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. May that always be on our lips. May we be willing to share this good news with anybody that we come into contact with. May we not shrink back in fear because we know that the presence of God is with us, that Jesus is with us. Lord, may we be so excited about all the good things that you are doing that we can't help but tell other people about it. Lord, may the world know, may all the nations know that there is salvation to be found in Jesus Christ. And may we all respond in obedience and in worship. In the name of Jesus, we voice this prayer. Amen. Let's stand to our feet.